Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone welcome back to across the realmiverse it's steve uh jimmy and brandon back with you for episode 77 we took the week off last week just like Roma with the international break wasn't too much to talk about quite into the mercato for the Jalorosi. so we we took the week off and we're back again here to talk about yet again refereeing unfortunately it was uh zero zero this weekend at the stadio olimpico as roma could not score officially against genoa who played a very physical compact style um before we get into it guys how are you doing after a couple weeks uh, away from the mic i mean we'll be getting into it i would assume very quickly but yeah this match in particular was kind of my breaking point for the season not necessarily with anyone involved in the club even just like with the situation um but yeah we'll have plenty to talk about of course I've been dead inside regarding this team for years, so I think <laughs> Saturday wasn't anything, uh, any new territory that we broke, but yeah, just uh, in the words of uh, the great Gab Marcotti, what, come on, man, like, <laughs> what are we doing here? What's what's going on with these refs? But we'll, we'll definitely get into it. Yeah, it was certainly not the most fun match to watch in terms of Roma's performance. They did dominate possession. I had a, an exchange on Twitter with a few people because I tweeted out that, you know, Roma was certainly subpar on Saturday. Uh, but the refereeing was a big reason why they couldn't get a result in this one. You know, yada, yada, yada. Zaniola should keep his mouth shut and not get red carded. And people tried to tell me Roma dominated the match. And, and, you know, maybe I should have mentioned that Roma was subpar. Maybe the attacking third is more like it because they did dominate possession. But it's always tough to get results against these lower sides. So I wasn't surprised it was 0-0 so deep into the match, especially when you look at the the, the box score and you see Genoa had 23 fouls, only two yellow cards, and then that one red card on Ostergaard, which was like, I mean, how could you not call it? It was like a choke slam if you see the still photos of it. So always tough to break those sides down. But the referee, my goodness, uh, VAR, Abiso, and that's why we're calling this 
episode staring into the abyso because Roma has been staring into the abyss with refereeing all season long. We're going to get into listener questions, but because there were so many about the refereeing, we're just going to talk about the refereeing. So if you submitted a question about the refereeing in general, thank you. So you might not get your name shouted out, but we do appreciate it uh, because we were had an overabundance of refereeing questions. So guys, first of all, what do you make of the call on Saturday on the Zaniolo goal? Great individual effort. Roma finally gets breaks through in the 91st minute, and then it gets waved away for a foul on the buildup by Tammy Abraham. So you guys can correct me if I'm wrong about what the theoretical use of VAR is supposed to be. Okay. Like you can tell me if I'm off base here, but my impression of what VAR was supposed to be was that, you know, it should be, looking at ways that goals might de- be disallowed because of someone being offside or, you know, like things that like are pretty close to when the actual shot is hit, you know? Um, and in this situation, I was confused from the moment they said that they were looking at VAR because it was like, it looked like a pretty clear cut goal. Um, you know, Zaniolo basically, I mean, first of all, we just got to say that goal by Zaniolo was fantastic. Lovely it was like goal. a world, yeah. it was a world-class strike. Um, and it makes me pretty optimistic for him, both for the Italian national team and Roma in the future. I think we do, we do need to say that before we start ranting about the, the referees. Um, but I don't really understand why the referee went so far back to the Abra- when Abraham was holding the ball. Because it's not like he, Abraham had the ball and like passed it in Zaniolo's shot right away either. Um, Abraham had the ball, and we can debate whether that should have been called a foul um I personally don't think it should have been called a foul even in the act of play but Abraham passed the ball Zaniolo moved with the ball for an extended amount of time and then fought and shot right so my understanding of VAR was that it wasn't supposed to be looking back that far for a goal like I I thought that it was supposed to be relatively close to the actual action of the shot being fired or like double checking that something's onside or things like that and that was my biggest issue with it, that it just seemed like the referee might have been inclined to, you know, like go back, you know, another 30 seconds to find another foul that wasn't called uh, just to disallow that, that goal. I, I don't know. It was just it seemed kind of absurd to me that it was that far removed from the actual act of shooting the ball that the referee was like, oh, now this doesn't count as a goal anymore. So I'm you pretty guys sure I'm, off base. I'm pretty sure it can be used to go back that far if it's in the build up to the play, like if. The ball had been turned over, went back Genoa's way after Tammy had quote unquote fouled the guy and then come back Roma's way. I don't think they would have looked at that because the possession would have changed, but I'm pretty sure everything in the buildup to the goal can be looked at. My issue was, was that a clear and obvious foul by Tammy Abraham that affected the play enough for Zaniolo to then receive the ball from, I believe it was Mkhitaryan to then score the goal? Because to me, I didn't think it was really a foul. Like that was pretty soft. I thought it was a good acting job by the general player to sell it. And I saw it in the live action. And I said to myself, Oh, like that guy went down. I wonder if they're going to look at that. But then when you see the replays, you're kind of like, he went down very easily. And Abraham yeah. was not, he didn't like stomp him. He didn't like lunge at him. He was in his middle of his dribble. He was one dribbling the ball and the guy stuck. His yeah, foot. He was in the motion yeah. of dribbling. Like to yeah. me, that was also part of the crazy part about it. That, that like, was my big, Abraham didn't do anything it. explicitly to like get in that defender's way the defender literally stuck his leg out into like a clear path like if we yes. were talking about like a clear clear path foul or something like that that would be an issue here that you know abraham was running in a straight line and the guy stuck his leg out 
Right. Like Abraham didn't bowl him over and then continue his run. Like it was in the process of a dribble and he happened to step on his foot. That, that was my issue with that. I don't know about you, Brandon. Yeah. So the, most people may not know this, but the hidden purpose of VAR is to screw over every team that I root for. <laughs> um, you know, Roma, Roma getting screwed week in and week out. Um, we'll go a few years back. City's my second team. They got screwed because VAR didn't exist. Then the next year they got screwed because VAR did exist in the Champions League. So um, first and foremost, that's the purpose of VAR, to torment me. Uh, <laughs> but as you guys were talking about, um, it definitely, you know, the purpose is to go back and look at these refereeing errors. But as you guys were talking about a little bit, I don't know if we can call that A, a clear and obvious error, and B, you know, um, the action was far enough removed where I don't think it warranted going back to take a look at it. And if you look at, you know, the Milan game where Giroud, uh, you know, railroaded Alexis Sanchez in the buildup to their goal and, uh, you know, no harm, no foul there in terms of uh, getting called back. Didn't even look at it either. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like I hear people saying, you know, that, you know, that was, that was early on in the action. So it didn't really warrant, um, getting reviewed and I understand that you know the Abraham incident was a little bit closer to um the Zaniolo goal than the Giroud incident but still it's kind of like splitting hairs here and uh it just seems like Roma's always on the um you know the the poor end of it yeah I mean I just gotta add too that you know looking like I, I saw some comment where someone said like oh Rome it always seems like Roma has bar checking the goal after the fact I honestly, like, I was under the impression, just because of how I mainly watch Roma matches, that VAR checked every single goal, and then I came, then I realized that, no, it's just that VAR ends up checking every Roma goal, and so, like, I, I can't remember the last time that there was a goal that Roma scored, that there wasn't at least, like, a little bit of time with VAR checking it, and I think that that's kind of indicative of something. I don't want to dive too deep into you know conspiracy mongering because you know I think we're better than that as a podcast but at the same time it does feel it's really frustrating to watch clubs like like I'll be honest Milan in particular and Juventus in particular um, those two often seem to get the benefit of the doubt um, for calls in general but VAR in particular Um, I would also just add that you know someone the, the straight red that Zaniolo got at the end of the match. Like I didn't realize in the actual act that it wasn't just like, you know, the accumulation of two yellow cards. It was a straight red. Yeah. I saw and, straight red. Yeah. And that, and that's, that's what it was. And to me, that was also kind of nuts. Um, the fact that the ref gave him a straight red there. Like I can understand giving him a yellow for, you know, dissent because that's pretty typical for what it sounds like he was saying, but at the same time, you know, giving him a straight red feels like, that wouldn't happen to a star player of literally any other big Serie A club. I don't think, I don't think that, you know, Chiellini or, you know, Zlatan would get a straight red for descent in the last few minutes of a match, like at home in particular, like, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think that that would happen. Yeah. And Mourinho actually said that those like exact words in his post-match comments was pretty much like, Oh, if Chiellini or Zlatan had said was on your side, which, which apparently what he said was what the F are you whistling for on another play a couple minutes later? It wasn't like he told them to go like, go F off, like F your mother, like anything like personal attack that you would think maybe would warrant a straight red because yeah, 
you know, you have to respect the referee to, you know, to, to an extent, I guess he is the guy in charge and he does hold the power in that sense. But I think Roma, we like to, you know, it's hard because we see things through a Roma lens, right? But when you start seeing on social media, people who are not Roma supporters and support other teams make comments about a goal that gets called back, then you start to say, well, maybe we're not so crazy, at least in this case, right? Maybe other times we see things through our lens. So maybe the referee did make the right call and we're just a little bitter about it. But in this sense, it seemed like there was a decent amount of agreement, at least on Twitter, that the, the goal probably shouldn't have been called back. And I think Roma doesn't get treated like a top side because, okay, we're not on the level of Milan or Juve or Inter financially or historically. And I think we have that little bit of that inferiority complex there. And the refs treat us that way. Like we're second-class citizens sometimes, even though we're one of the bigger clubs in Italy, because I'm sure if, if we had, if we talked to Sassuolo fans or Empoli fans or Venezia fans, they'd have even more gripes about the referees than we do at times, but also Zaniolo because he's young, because he's got maybe a little bit of a reputation being a little bit of a hot shot and having a little mouth on him. I think he gets, and we've talked about his treatment in terms of the non-fouls against him, but I think the refs are like, you know, Here's this young kid, got a mouth on him. So screw you, we're going to throw a card. And sometimes it might be a yellow. That time it was a red. And I think I think it's got to be getting frustrating because, look, should he keep his cool? 100% he needs, he needs to learn how to channel that because you're going to make yourself a target for the refs more often than not if you get that reputation until you establish yourself as maybe a superstar player. But I saw a comment, I think it was on this, I think it was on our message boards. It was either on our message boards or a comment on Twitter that said, you know, if he was playing for Juventus, would that attitude be that he's the next Chiellini, that he he wants to win at all costs, that he just wants to win, he only cares about winning, but because he's on Roma, he's a crybaby and he's a complainer. And I found that interesting. Yeah, I think, yeah. Brandon, no, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I, I was just going to add that there were, there were also not even on our comment boards, but like one thing that I saw making the rounds in the news uh, over in Italy over the past day or so, was a comment from I believe the head coach of the women's Italian national team uh and she said something along the lines of like Zaniolo needs to be educated when it comes to you know Mm. keeping his cool on the pitch and part of me agrees with that in the sense that you know as a fan of the club and a fan of him I want him on the pitch as much as possible and it's annoying that he racks up yellow cards sometimes and it's annoying that you know like our best our most talented player sometimes, you know, runs a a foul of the referee. On the flip side of that, you know, I've been talking about, I think we've all been agreeing over the course of this season that Zaniolo has been getting absolutely screwed by the refs. And there's, there's like a limit to the state. I I think that you have like taking that in context, it, it becomes really understandable that if you are a guy in Zaniolo's position you're only going to get angrier and angrier with how the refs are treating you. And like this definitely this, like as much as I can say, like he should keep his cool, like the way the refs have treated him both specifically in this match. And then over the course of the season has made it seem like there's a concerted effort to screw him over among all of the refs. And so I understand why he's hot headed at this point, because it's, it would be really hard to be in his shoes and not feel like the referees are out to get you explicitly. You guys, you guys know what it is, right? It's the referees. Uh, they found out about how much sex that Zaniello is having and they did it together to just kind of, you know, go against him at all costs. But like, I think I see the points you guys are making, but at the same time, I think if you're the ref, 
A, knowing the reputation that Zaniolo has, B, knowing the magnitude of the call that you just made, like you got to give him a little bit of slack in terms of, uh, yeah, you know, the back talk I get, you know, we want to be respectful to the referees and all that good stuff. But, at, you know, at the same time, we have a young 21, 22 year old just scored the would be game winner gets chalked back. Like, of course, he's going to be a little annoyed and uh, be chirping at you, but that's what all the superstars do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, you know, he's not there yet. So, you know, he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt with these calls, but at the same time, you're a, you know, you're a professional ref in the Italian league. Like you should have some situational awareness and uh, that definitely was not on display. Yeah, something I, that I found absolutely. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead, Jim, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say that something I found absolutely fascinating, you know, reading all the rumor mills and everything like that afterwards was a little tidbit um, saying that not only did the club talk to him right after the match and say that they were like behind him hundred percent, the Italian national team, like Roberto Mancini apparently called, called him right after the match and said like, Hey, I've got your back. This is really bad. Um, so I think that there is a noticeable divide that's kind of emerging between, you know, like the referees and, you know, more playing the play, the coaches of both the Italian national team and, you know, the club when it comes to how Zaniolo is being treated. Cause I think both the club and the country view him as a long-term star. And it's just from like Mancini's perspective as coach of the national team, it's pretty unsustainable to have your star player be treated like this over, you know, the course of an entire season. Um, Mancini, saw that Zaniolo had the makings of a star from basically even before he had his first appearance with um, the club. I mean, he was being, he got called up to the national team before he got, got any minutes with the actual, um, with the actual club. And for the, the national team to obviously prioritize him and, you know, like make him feel like he's important even after two ACL tears only for the referees to basically be, you know, taking his knees out from under him at every opportunity, that's got to be really frustrating if you're trying to build a strong national identity in the, in the national team. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point. I was going to, I was going to say before that this is probably the biggest goal he scored since he's come back. This was a huge goal. It would have gotten three points for Roma at the death. And, you know, there's the frustration of that, but I think it's also the accumulation of frustration, like you mentioned of not getting calls his way throughout the season where then it becomes, you know, maybe wasn't just this ref that his anger is targeted at, but, this referee took the brunt of what's been building up inside him for weeks and months now of referees not giving him benefit of the doubt on many a call this season. Uh, when you look at some of the non-fouls against him on replay, they're they're there a lot of the time, and they're pretty clear sometimes. So that's got to be building up in a young kid. And I wonder, it just came to me now, like I'm sitting here thinking, if this team had a De Rossi or a Totti on it still, does he get himself in that position in this match, maybe somebody else steps up and says something to the ref before that, you know, Pellegrini wasn't available this match, you know, Mancini's way back in the defense and he's wearing the armband maybe. And he's got a, he's got a temper on his own too. And maybe doesn't have as much respect from the referees, but if there was that clear leader on the pitch, maybe Zaniola doesn't get himself in that position. Who knows? I give you De Rossi on that one. I kind of feel like he would still be chirping. But, uh, you know, as we all know, DeRossi is famously the first one to be to be doing that, getting in the ref's yeah. face um, to talk about these calls. So, like, you know, in that scenario, I definitely think uh, DeRossi would be the standard bearer uh, for Zaniolo's calls. But 
especially with the team that's currently constructed. I don't think, you know, Pellegrini being out there, um, you know, Mancini, I don't think none of that makes a difference in terms of, uh, particularly in the context of like Zaniolo standing in the team where he is one of the higher rated players. So I think nine times out of 10, he's definitely going to take that on himself to chirp at the ref, regardless of who else is out there. Yeah, and and because in Italy, especially historically, it's always been like they look to the veterans always. Like the young players don't get the respect. It, it, up until recently, young players never even saw the pitch really until they were like 24, 25 years old. You wonder if because Roma doesn't have that 30-year-old established Italian player right now, they get a little less respect as a team from the referees because Pellegrini is still relatively young as a captain. You know, Mancini, Cristante, these guys that wear the armband when he's not there are only in their mid-20s and not super established with the – within the league in terms of like respect with the referees. I wonder if that has any effect rather than, you know, an Inter who has Handanovic who's been there forever and Milan has Ibrahimovic and Juve obviously has their guys in the back. I don't know if that affects it or not because clearly the refs don't give a shit about Mourinho. They, 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 they love to push his button. So I don't know if that's made it worse for Roma this year or, or what, like maybe they just have a vendetta sometime against Mourinho from his, his past. I don't know because Maybe they just take it out on the players because Mourinho's got a mouth. I don't know. Yeah, one last thing I'll add, because I do think we should probably get to some of the listener questions we got, uh, is that I do think to a certain extent that as a club, it's really concerning to just see referees assert themselves as a protagonist in the match time and time again. Like we got a lot of questions about saying some, I think that there are like two camps in the Romaverse right now. One of them is, you know, the referees are screwing us. How are we expect, how can we win matches with the ref screwing us this much? And then the other half is like, well, if we were playing better, um, you know, this wouldn't be a problem. Like people were saying like, oh, if we had scored another goal before this, it wouldn't matter that Daniel's goal was disallowed. My two cents on that is that, you know, it's really hard to win a match when a referee keeps on insisting on making himself the protagonist of a match. And if you look at the actual number of fouls called versus cards given in the Genoa match, Genoa had something like three times more fouls and the same number of cards as Roma. And that's just insane to me that, you know, after a certain point, referees are simply allowing other clubs to play a different sport than they're allowing Roma to play. And I don't know how that's sustainable for the club, for the referees, for Serie A as a whole. Yeah. So let's talk about the the play on the pitch then, because we had a question from Garibaldino on the message boards and he asked, why is this team's performance so inconsistent? What would need to change either roster wise, management wise, tactics wise for Roma to become more effective on the pitch. It really feels like this team has been slingshotting back and forth in a confusing way. Yeah. You know, you guys probably know this by now, but I'm pretty cynical in the way I view Roma. So for me, the easy answer is always like, you know, got to get better players, but for a club with a budget like Roma's, that's not really, uh, and this isn't FIFA. So that's not really the solution that we're looking for here. I think, you know, but it's hard because, you know, you, th- you throw in guard, you know, Mourinho has his detractors, you throw in Pep or Klopp. How much better do they do with these group of players? I don't know. I think margin, I think definitely better, but like at the same time, the, these players only have a certain ceiling. So 
I don't know. It's it's really hard to say come up with anything other than roster wise. While we are on the topic of roster, I have to say Cristante, awful, 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 awful. I don't know how Brent put him in the Saints um, on Saturday. I was a little perplexed by that one because I thought naked eye test, he was pretty bad on Saturday. Well, that's, what I was gonna, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't have any numbers to support this, but on the eye test, man, it was just rough sledding. A lot him. of loose passes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was that was a standout for me. I, I turned to my girlfriend at a point and said, I never want to see him wear this jersey again. <laughs> um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at with uh, Brian. Yeah, Brian, Brian is a lightning rod. There was a thread of, um, I guess it was a little gift someone put together. It was like Cristante example one, Cristante example two. I don't know if you saw that. I think it was under my four key figures uh, piece I put up yesterday. It was just like uh, eight or 10 Cristante little gifts of like loose passes and stuff. He was pretty poor. I, I do like him as like a rotation type player, but as an out and out starter. And the numbers Brent put in, if you looked at just the numbers, the numbers supported him being like, a pretty good player on Saturday in terms of like long balls completed and all this, but yeah, eye test was a little troubling. Um, I think you have to look at like the numbers t- or the the moments in the game where he's where he's doing these misplaced passes because like towards the tail end, yes. we'll a man up, uh, pass after pass, he's just sending yep. right to the other team, and it's like, come on, man, we're we're up against it, we have a man advantage, you have yeah. to be making these passes. Yeah. So Jim, I'll go to you on the next one. Do you think the main problem for the team is their inability in the final third to create something or their inability to finish? Well, besides the obvious statement that it's a whole lot easier to finish something when the referee agrees that it should be a goal. um, (laughs) uh, I would say that I think that the creativity is the bigger issue right now, but I'm also not super concerned about it because Pellegrini's been out and he's coming back for he's he's in Milan right now for the game that will be tomorrow against Inter in the Copa so the good news is we are getting our our true creative spark back very quickly now and so I'm less worried about the creativity now than I was before when I didn't know when Pellegrini would be coming back I think that Oliveira, once he's more settled in has the potential to play that creative role to spell Pellegrini a little bit um but I would go further than what Brandon was saying about, you know, Cristante not necessarily being a player he wants to see in a Roma jersey again. And I would say that, you know, I wouldn't really shed a tear if either Jordan Vertu or Brian Cristante, like, left in the summer. I think Cristante seems like an ultimate glue guy, and I appreciate that. But I don't want him to be a consistent starter anymore. I'd much rather him be a rotational piece. And Vertu, I'm just kind of tired of. Um, I've been tired of him for a while, but I, I think that, you know, he didn't bring anything in when he came on and that was really frustrating because he should like, he's supposed to be good enough that if he's coming on as like a relatively late sub that he should have like the level more of an impact than, you know, Felix does when he comes on as a late sub. And yet each time that he's come on as a sub, I feel like there's been little to no positive improvement for Roma as a side. And I don't feel like we get enough out of him when he's starting to be worth it either so yeah if if someone comes calling for him in the summer I would appreciate it if we sold him and Cristante you know if if we can't get someone to get ahead of him in the depth chart then like that'd be a problem but I I have faith that we'll be able to get somebody who can go ahead of him the depth chart and make him more of a rotational option yeah someone call up Newcastle tell them with their oil money that they have and hopefully they'll survive the Premier League they can spend some money on him bring us like 40 50 million and, and he could take them um so we had one here on Twitter from uh Inkuli. he asked do you think Pellegrini makes an impact in the game 
like Genoa, do you think this team uh, struggles to keep hold of the ball instead of rushing into attacks? I get it for counterattacks, but simple, tidy, and patient buildup play seems to be a problem against a low block. And uh, he also added that there's nothing wrong with a one nothing win. Genoa played their game and well, and we struggled. And that's true. I, I Genoa did their job. I pointed that out in my four key uh, numbers piece that I did. Uh, they came looking to to muck it up in the midfield, break Roma's rhythm. They did that. The fouls speak to that. The referee didn't give many yellow cards, so they kept doing it. So kudos to them. Um, and he finished by saying, but it would be nice to end games without thinking of the ref. It's getting annoying to watch all these decisions, suspensions, and penalties. Something's got to give. I think in a match like this, Pellegrini could have helped because he's got uh, a little bit more of an incisive pass in the final third to maybe find Tammy or find Zaniolo on the run than some of the other guys do. I think holding on to the ball is going to help, like you mentioned, Oliveira when he's more integrated into the side. I think when you pair him and Pellegrini, which we haven't seen yet, Roma should be a little bit better dictating play and, and hopefully finding some of those passing lanes. But Roma t- seems to struggle against these low blocks year after year after year because these small clubs will pack it in and look for a 0-0 maybe steal a one nothing win. And then Roma also struggles against the big sides. And the conclusion I came to this weekend, I had like an epiphany moment, was that Roma's best when they play the sides like Sassuolo, Empoli, uh, maybe Bologna, those kind of middle-of-the-road teams that are still ambitious enough to attack because they know they have a decent team, but they leave themselves open to Roma's counterattack or Roma's build-up play. And I, I'm curious to see this weekend against Sassuolo because Sassuolo will be missing two of their best attackers, Scamacca and Raspadori, and they're still going to try to attack with Defrel and Berardi. And their defense, if you've watched in the past couple of weeks, like I usually watch Sassuolo because I like to watch those young Italian players that they have. God, their defense is atrocious. Like if Roma doesn't put up a few goals against them this weekend, then I will be much more concerned. But these low blocks always seem to, to plague Roma. So um, another one for you, Brandon, from Mancini on the CDT message boards. Why do we just throw in attackers while we're dominating with a normal formation? Why for the first time in forever, when we have a fast tracker, who doesn't play off the d- defender's last shoulder or the last defender's shoulder rather? So I'll tackle that second part first where, you know, Tammy, Tammy's pretty fast, but I don't think he has that, uh, that game breaking speed, that Salah speed um, where, you know, you can consistently have them, um, you know, Salah is an exception because he can kind of do everything. But uh, normally when you have these fast players and you want them uh, playing off the defender's shoulder, you know, it's a certain level of speed. And I don't know if Tammy has that. And at the same time, just the way we play, he has so many other skills to use rather than just kind of uh, playing off the shoulder and hoping for long balls over the top. But as for the first one, I think, so A, I don't think we were dominating the match uh, by any means, but I guess if you want to say, you know, when when Genoa went down a man, uh, that is when teams usually kind of impose their dominance. And, uh, but I think, you know, we have to look at the context of the moment where uh, I think I forget at what point in the match they mentioned it, but uh, it was Mourinho's hundredth Serie A game in charge. Um, I think if he had won, he would have tied Conte for quickest uh, to reach, I think 63 wins or something like that. So we know how much these, uh, these records mean to him. We just can go back to the Sassuolo match um, where El Shari had that winner. I think it was Sassuolo, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure so. we had that winner. Um, everybody's running around. Mourinho has that iconic run. Um, and I think, and you know, that was his a thousand, a thousand, 
uh, game as a manager. So I think these kind of records hold a lot of weight for him and he wants to win at all costs. So when it's late in the game, 70th minute man up, yeah, he's going to throw on all of his attackers because he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't really want, you know, uh, that stain on his resume when, um, when these random fun facts get brought up down the road. But so, yeah, I think, I think it had more to do with that. Just like wanting to secure that win in, in his hundredth game as a city manager than anything. Yeah, for sure. So we got a couple of Yolo related questions. And we talked a little bit about Nico earlier, but you know, Ron Melendez wonders in a league where the referees seem to have a vendetta form, why should Zaniolo stay? That's a great question. And I think, <laughs> I don't know. It's there's, there's no, there's no good answer there. I know, I know Jimmy's kind of been the the flag bearer for uh, him leaving the league kind of um, just because he's not getting his fair shake from the refs, but. To be clear, know. I don't want him to leave. I don't want him to leave. Well, yeah, I mean, you brought it up more than I ever would because uh, I don't want to see it happen. But I don't really, I mean, I, I, I get the question where it's kind of a little joking question. But yeah. at the same time, um, if he were to go to the Premier League, he's just another player there. He doesn't really have that cachet that he might have in the Italian league. I mean, I uh, guess the whole thing would be in Rome, he could become a king like Totti, right? I mean, right, that, yeah, that's exactly. the end game if you stay with Roma. Right. So if your only reason to leave is the refs, uh, I think you should stay put. But that's that's for him to decide uh, come the summer. So Jim, clear, throw... I never, I've, I've, yeah, I've never wanted him to leave. I'm just okay. I'll, I've been, I'll retract I've, that. <laughs> I've been I've been suggesting that you know after a certain point, if he's going to be mistreated this much by the refs, like he's gonna like if he's not going to be given the ability to actually you know get a foul call in his favor, and he's going to get goals disallowed like this, that after a certain point for his career, he's probably going to start thinking I should leave, and that's something that even the club has said that Mourinho has said like he'll probably want to leave if you keep mistreating him like this. And I, I think that's fair. Yeah. So Jim, uh, Kevin Colarusso asks if Zaniolo does, if does he leave? And if he does, can we take this new ownership seriously? Uh, I think that if he leaves, it's not going to be ownership's fault. I think that ownership has made it abundantly clear that they support him. Uh, it seems to me like they've told anyone who will listen that, Pellegrini and Zaniolo are their two kind of pillars for the future. Uh, there have been rumors that, you know, even players as good as Ibanez might be on the market for the right price, but there's never been a rumor saying that Roma would entertain offers from other clubs, particularly other domestic clubs for Zaniolo and Pellegrini. I mean, obviously that could change, but the fact that, you know, despite a disappointing statistical season for Zaniolo so far, Roma still seems pretty intent on giving him a renewal at the end of, uh, sometime soon. Uh, that would probably make him one of the better paid players in the team. I'm not too worried about Roma's commitment to Zaniolo. And if he left, I don't think it would be management's fault. Yeah, I was just going to say, if it all depends on how he were to leave. If he were to say, I want to leave like Dusan Vlaovic did, and I want to go to Juventus, and I'm only going to play for Juventus next season, then it's not so much on ownership, it's more on the player, right? If if they start saying, you know what, well, this kid's bringing some problems around. Maybe we want to sell him instead of working with him and developing. Then maybe it falls on the ownership. So I think it depends on the situation too. Um, so we, we've got a couple minutes left. So I'm going to 
posed this one to you guys. And this is from Bello Samuel on Twitter. And Brandon maybe already alluded to this way at the beginning of the episode about how he feels about this club. But he asked, will the pain of this always, uh, always eventually stop hurting because it keeps me up the day and I'm tired. So basically, Bello Samuel is worn out from watching Roma play. I mean, Brandon, you could go first because you already said it. You're like numb. <laughs> yes, it will stop hurting. And one day the light will leave your eyes and you'll take these results with a grain of salt and just get ready for the next one. Um, I believe tomorrow we are going to get uh, smoked by Inter. And, um, and that, you know, you just hop from uh, disappointment to disappointment. And one year you'll find yourself in first or second place, hopefully. But for now, we're just have to hop from uh, painful moment to painful moment. Yeah. Maybe I'm, I'm too young and too optimistic. You. Maybe I'm too young and too optimistic. I don't know. Maybe that's my curse in this in this little podcast, but I'm the, I got to be the optimistic one. I mean, I think it'll probably stop hurting that particular match because, you know, there have been plenty of other painful matches this season that, you know, compared to the general one, don't hurt as much anymore. Um, but I would also say that, you know, something that Steven brought up kind of at the beginning of the podcast, which I think is really true, is that, you know, Roma, in terms of the all-time Serie A table, is still, like, number four. Uh, there are, like, 16 clubs in the, that are in the top flight right now that would kill to have Roma's problems most of the time. And there are a lot of other clubs throughout Europe that would kill to be Roma. And does that make it any less frustrating that the referees and life just seems to favor, you know, Juventus? That, you know, like, they lose Cristiano Ronaldo and they decide to replace him with, you know, the second coming of Batistuta, like, yeah, that's, that's frustrating. But at the same time, it must be nice to be able to do that. But at the same time, um, you know, I think that there are a whole lot of clubs that have it far worse than the Giallo Rossi. And I think that's part of the reason why I can stomach following Roma to begin with. It's not, it's not like following Juventus in the sense that, you know, their definition of a great winter Mercado is spending like 90 million euros. And my definition of a great winter Mercado is bringing two guys in on loan who I think will be a good fit. And I'm more okay with being that, that being the club that I support than, you know, the other options. Yeah. So we're not a feeder club for Juventus yet. A la Fiorentina. We still have a little respectability, I guess, in that sense, but he just jinxed it. He's going to, (laughs) Uh, dude, no, yeah well that would be my uh you know my my special trade is jinxing things uh you know i said tammy was guaranteed to score this past weekend i was talking to a couple of my buddies so you know who knew jenna would pack it in and he'd have his shot blocked and that was the end of that but uh sassuolo next weekend inter tomorrow like brandon mentioned that'll be a tough match in the Coppa italia quarterfinals if roma wants to win one of those they're gonna have to get through the defending champs uh fairly early in the competition We'll see if they can do that. We'll see if they can put up some goals on Sassuolo next weekend. Uh, Sassuolo, that'll be without a couple key attacking players. Roma will be without Zaniolo. Hopefully, the next time we talk to you guys, it'll be after a victory, three points, and uh, we'll be a little bit more cheerful, and the referees won't have uh, destroyed our whatever you know feelings we have left for them. But we thank you again for listening. Uh, you know, Give us a follow on Twitter on, and give us a rating on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you, you listen if you enjoyed. And uh, thanks again for listening.